Amen. What a wild, what a wild morning it's been for me. Has it been crazy for anybody else this morning, or is it just me that's living like living La Vida Loca this morning? Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. It has been. It has been. It's been a crazy morning for a few of us, hasn't it? I want you to know I very much appreciated what you were saying this morning because I needed it. I woke up this morning to find nine of my neighbor's pigs rooting up my backyard and my side yard and around my chicken coop. And and I was up till about four-ish or so finishing up the sermon. So I was in a great mood when I went out the front door. And my wife's, you know, I about basically get that all taken care of about the time that it's time for us to leave for church. My wife's like, we got to go. I'm like, what a morning. So, I very much appreciated what uh, Dexter had to say this morning about remembering that people are loved by the Lord, dealing with them gently. It, sh- it, sh- it shouldn't be tough for us to deal with each other gently, should it? Because the Lord's dealt gently with us. It's just really easy for me to forget that in the moment, especially when I think somebody else deserves it. You know what I'm talking about? And then later, you know, 20 minutes later, when the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of me, it's a lot easier to think, yeah, that was my flesh. So, and and on that note, guess what I want to talk to you about today? (laughs) Turn with me, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, about being ambassadors for the Lord. (laughs) Ah, the delicious irony. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> so here's what I want to do. I want to remind you of a few things. I want to pray. And then I want to remind you of a few things that the Scripture says. I don't think what I'm going to say today is going to be new news to most of your ears. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, if you actually are a consumer of the Word of God, you're not someone that just shows up at church. Maybe you're someone that actually reads the Scriptures, you know, like Christians do. I don't think this is going to be new to you. But I do know this. Paul tells Timothy to constantly repeat things. He says, remember these. Bring this to their remembrance. Why is he saying that? Because we can be forgetful hearers. Why does James tell us not to be forgetful hearers? Because we can be forgetful hearers. And we read Scripture passages, and then it's been a while since we've read it, and it fades from our memory. And so I want to bring something into your mind today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We know Your Word shows us truth. God, we thank You for this time of year when we celebrate the Incarnation, the God-Man, the coming of God to the earth, taking on flesh, And saving His people from their sins. God, I ask that today we would be reminded that we are indeed ambassadors for You. And that we would not waste this time of year, Lord, when we have a golden opportunity to speak about You, to speak Your Word, to share the Gospel with others who at many other times throughout the year just don't care to hear it. Father, I ask You would give us open doors among our family, our friends, our neighbors, to be able to speak Your truth, that Your Word can go forth. And as You've said, that it would not come back void, 
but it will accomplish what you've set it out to do. Let us have faith in that and speak your word boldly and faithfully in this Christmas season. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay. I want to remind you, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 tells us that, um, that God gave Himself, God Himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. My job here is to help equip you for the work of ministry. I don't know whether you see yourself as a minister. Some of you don't. I hate that. I hate that we have this such a pietistic mindset of Christian life that we have almost like a coach and player mentality. I think that's nonsense. I don't think the Scripture upholds that. The Scripture says you are a minister. In fact, it says in this passage that we're going to get into today that God has given to you the ministry of reconciliation. In Thessalonians, it tells us that God has given us the ministry of the gospel. Not us, the pastors, us, the Christians. You are a minister. And you must see yourself as that. And my job today is to help equip you, better equip you to be that minister. Does that make sense? My job is not to be the minister and you just come listen. That's nonsense. I'm not the coach and you the player. It's not how this works. We are all in this. I hate using that. It's so cliche. We're all in this together. I really want to say that right now. We're all in this together. But it's true. We are. Because you're ministers too. And the same things that trouble me and the same things that trip me up are quite likely the same things that trip you up as well. And so I want to today basically equip you. I want to teach and equip you for the work of ministry over this next week or two. Okay? I want to equip you to take the gospel into those Christmas celebrations, the family meals, the conversations, the holiday trappings, if you will, that you're going to be in in the next week or two. I know, especially among Reformed believers, here in Reformdom, sometimes it is Reformdom, here in Reformdom, it's very common to find people that really hate Christmas. By golly, there's nowhere in the Bible that tells us to celebrate Christmas. I literally have a Presbyterian friend. God love him. So stereotypically Presbyterian. Still love him. Faithful brother. And I love him for that. But he is, I mean, he's that guy, right? I hate Christmas. We should never celebrate Christmas. Nowhere in the Bible it says for us to celebrate Christmas. Not wrong. It's also nowhere in the Bible it says you need to have a birthday. And yet you celebrate it. Nowhere in the Bible that, that uh, tells you you must celebrate uh, the Feast of Lights either. And Jesus celebrated it. Still not out there. Hanukkah? That didn't come from the Old Testament. And Jesus went to the Festival of Lights. Or today we call it Hanukkah, right? Feast of Dedication. That's John, what, chapter 10, I think, if you want to really delve into that. So I'm saying this. Get over yourself for a second and appreciate this time of year. Why? What other time of year can you actually go around in our pagan, God-hating culture and find people who are unbelievers, who are pagans, who are just absolutely reprobate, singing songs about Christ? I know whose phone that was. 
because I've had her in class. But where else can you find that, right? What other time of the year? So here's what I'm saying. There are things about Christmas that drive me crazy too. I get it. I've been that guy. Okay? I've been there. It's so over-commercialized and it's so materialistic and so... I know. Now, how are you going to change it? Well, then don't you get caught up in it. But there's still an, a part of Christmas that I think you and I should be very, very thankful for. And that is this. That it's a season, a time of the year, every year, where unbelievers basically throw the door open and give you a golden opportunity to speak the gospel. I mean, it's like the one time of the year when people will literally overlook it. Right? I mean, you get in trouble. Trust me, I have gotten in trouble at school a lot for talking about Christ. Do you know when when the rains come off? It's right Christmas time, man. Oh, that doesn't count. It's a Christmas carol. Cool. That doesn't count. It's Christmas play. <laughs> cool with me. I'm just saying, you give me an opportunity, an unfettered opportunity to talk to a bunch of unbelievers about Christ. You're crazy if you think I'm not going to take it. Okay? Be shrewd. You have golden opportunities in front of you. You have family members that will not listen to what you have to say, you know, for 11 and a half months of the year. And for two weeks, you have this golden opportunity and so I want to basically dive into that and say, don't waste your opportunity. God has given you an opportunity. You live in a culture that allows you an opportunity to really have a lot of freedom in speaking the gospel at this time. Don't waste it. There are other countries, by the way, where that's the majority of the time for evangelism. In India, in certain places in India, that's a major deal. There's certain places in uh, even the Middle East. Where it's like, that's kind of the time of year when Christians have a little more freedom. And they'll, they'll be more free about evangelizing, giving out tracts, things like that. That's a big deal. China. China. We shouldn't waste it either. So let's be plain. Christmas season's upon us. You know I'm going to have to say that. It's true. Many of us within the next week will make road trips to gather with family and friends we haven't seen for quite some time, maybe even it's been years. We will attend Christmas parties, hear countless Christmas songs, say Merry Christmas hundreds of times. We'll exchange gifts with a multitude of people. We'll take part in lots of traditions. And it would be easy to look at all the commercialization of it and be disgusted, but I think it's a short-sighted way to see it. I believe we should look at Christmas as an incredible blessing and a tremendous opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. If we have our eyes and ears open, the Christmas season can be a time of great advancement for the gospel and for the Word of God among our unsaved family and friends. We should be gospel-sharing machines every year around Christmas time. We should be. Not that I'm saying you're just repeating a gospel story like perfunctorily around your friends and family, but you have all kinds of open doors, ways and abilities to be able to talk about Christ simply by virtue of the things around you. I mean, look, they're just handing it to us. Have you thought about that? The unbelieving world is just handing us, putting it on a tee, right? Hey, here's just two weeks of open door. Like, it's on. They put it on the tee. Take a crack at it. Take a swing. No matter if you hit a home run or not, put the ball in play. 
But don't just sit there looking at it, right? I'm sorry to give all the sports analogies. I was coached for six years. Comes out sometimes. Put the ball in play, man. Take a swing. Ah, what if I foul it off? What if I don't get it right? What if I don't? Nobody does. Got great news. We serve a God who's mighty enough and sovereign enough that he can strike a straight blow with a bent stick. So what do you do? You just be faithful. God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. He's given it to you. He's promised that His Word will not return to Him void. He's promised it will accomplish what He set it out to do. It's a hammer. It's going to break that stony heart. But you have to be willing to give it a voice. You have to be willing to do what you're supposed to do, to do what you're commanded to do, which is go and preach the Gospel. It's to go and make disciples. You know what we want to do in the Christian church? We want to do everything except that. We want to entertain. We have great music. We want to have great, you know, side programs. And not, not that I'm saying any of those things are bad. Okay, well, the entertainment's bad. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, okay, there are those things I want to say are bad. But I'm saying this. We've been commanded to do these others. And I don't care how good you get the other stuff right. If you don't do what Christ has said to do, which is take the gospel, preach the gospel, make disciples. If you don't do that, it doesn't matter how well you do the other stuff. You understand? You're missing the point. You've now gone up on a hill and defended a hill, died on a hill that had no relevance anyway. We should be gospel-sharing machines this time every year. We're literally talking about a time of year where a massive bunch of God-hating unbelievers will actually partake in a Christian holiday with us. And I realize some of them do so begrudgingly. I've been that guy too. But some do, do so with a sense and awe of wonder. But, but whatever the underlying motive is, shouldn't we be faithful with that open door? Shouldn't we be faithful to share the gospel when we have those opportunities? Don't waste this golden opportunity. We have a massive amount of people in the church who are not born again. I don't think that's news to you. I mean, really, you look at the church letters, just the, the New Testament, you'll see the same thing. I mean, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he's saying, I'm really ready to share the gospel with you again. Well, well they're already in church. Yeah. And he realized a lot of those people in church were not born again. He said the same thing to the church in Rome. We should say the same thing. Listen, I was 19 years old when I got born again. I was a church kid my whole life. I can't tell you the first time I was in church because I don't remember it. Because I was that young. I was drugged to church. I say this all the time. I was a church druggie, right? I was drugged to church every time the doors were open because that's what my mom was going to make sure her kids did. And, and folks, years of that, and I never once heard the gospel. I was at every church service. I was at church camp. Never heard the gospel. The first time I heard the gospel, I was 19 years old. The first time I heard the word gospel, I was 19 years old, and I was a church kid. Now, I want to tell you something. If you took the little Methodist church I grew up in, and you compared it to mainstream culture today, the church that I grew up in was actually pretty conservative. And I still never heard the gospel. You know what I heard a lot of? Social gospel, right? What's it mean to be a Christian? Ah, be a good neighbor. Be a nice guy. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Right? That's not what it means to be a Christian, though. 
You can keep all those rules and still split hell wide open. And you and I both know that. So why am I telling you that? Because I'm telling you, you're going to go to these Christmas celebrations. You're going to have Christmas dinner with people that have been in church 20 years and they may never have heard the gospel. Ever. You're going to go to a lot of family celebrations where if you ask the people there, they would tell you, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they may not be born again. And they may not have ever even heard the gospel. So why am I telling you that? Because I don't want you to assume blindly that these people are Christian. I want you to love them. And I want you to love them the right way, truly. By the way, I'm preaching this to me too, so don't think I'm being too hard. I've got a brother of mine. We were best friends growing up, two years apart. We did everything together. And when I say everything, I mean we did everything together. And that included the sin that we got ourselves into. And at 19, Christ pulled me out of that. And this guy that was my best friend became my worst enemy. I mean, he hated me. And I told him the gospel until I was blue in the face from it. Until I was to the point he didn't want to see me or talk to me. And then I stopped. I started praying for him. This is so shameful to admit. And I prayed and I prayed, God, send somebody to talk to my brother, to answer these you know, questions, the apologetical questions that he has. Send somebody to give him the gospel. This tiny little town I'm in. Send somebody. And here I am, twice a year, I'm going back to that little town. And I'm praying for God to send somebody else. Isn't that funny how God does that? He did it with the disciples too. Jesus tells them, hey, I want you to pray for the harvest. Okay, God. They start praying for the harvest. Then what does Jesus do? Go get them, boys. Pray that God would send laborers into his harvest. Because the fields are white. They're ripe. They're ready for harvest. So they start praying. Jesus says, guess what? You're going. God's answered the prayer. I got news for you. Have you been praying for your family? I do. I'm sure you have. God, send somebody. Give them the gospel. Put somebody in their life to give them the truth. And here you are. Going to a Christmas celebration with them. Hmm. Who could God be sending? survey conducted earlier this year by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University found that American adults have increasingly adopted a salvation by works perspective on theology, including the majority of those who identified as Christians. Fully 52% of all people who were polled who said they were Christians affirm that if a person is generally good overall or does enough good things throughout their lifetime, they will be rewarded with heaven. That's not just bad theology, folks. That's the anti-gospel. That is what must be repented of, Paul says. Paul says that must be repented of for a person to be able to find salvation. And 52% of the people polled who said they were Christians believe that. They are somehow deceived enough that they believe somehow doing good works can replace their bad. I have news for you. I want to share this with you. Not because I don't think you've ever heard it before, because I want you to be able to articulate it. Let me tell you the gospel in as short a form as I can pack it. It has two parts. Bad news, good news. All right? There's a backdrop. If you don't understand the backdrop, you can't get the gospel. 
And to be quite frank, the thing that we miss right now in our culture, what we are missing is the backdrop. People think they are good by nature. I'm actually really good by nature. And the reason that I have these rough edges is because something happened to me as I was growing up in my environment. I was born as a blank slate or the Latin tabula rusta. You're not a blank slate. I got news, uh, newsflash for you. You're not a blank slate. You were born with a sin nature. It's why your parents never had to teach you how to sin. My mom never had to sit me down and teach me how to lie or steal or be selfish or be violent to get my way. She never had to show me that. You know why? I was that way by nature. That's something else you get reinforced to you when you have kids of your own, isn't it? Got four small, got four small kids. One toy. Think they'll just sit around and be like, no, no, you go ahead. No, play to your heart's content. You go ahead. No, it's all for you. Baby, there's going to be World War III toddler style. Okay? Sometimes you can have a load of... We've got more toys than our kids could ever play with. Right? We've got a load of toys. Bucket loads. Literally bucket loads of them. Go put up... You know, put your trains and your cars in the bucket. The only one they want to play with is whatever the other one's playing with. Right? That's the magic toy. Why? Because they have a sin nature. So do you. You have a sin nature. You never had to be taught how to be sinful or selfish. You knew how to do it by nature. That's the bad news. More bad news to compound on top of that. God says the wages of sin is death. A wage is something you earn for work you've done. I got bad news for you. Your sin has earned you death. Not just physical death, eternal death. There's, there's, some, there's this weird theology out there, like people, it's kind of like people believe, like somebody dies, they become an angel. You're like, where did that come from? Probably Roman Catholic mysticism in the Middle Ages or something. There's another one, though, too. There's this mysticism that where people think, like, once a person dies, they no longer sin, right? If you're a sinner, your spirit never dies, your soul never dies. And it has been infected with sin. Why does somebody have to go to hell for eternity, man? Because they never stop sinning. They cannot pay that debt. It is an unpayable debt. That's the bad, bad news. The wages of your sin is death. You have earned death. Not just physical death, although you have earned that. Spiritual death as well. Eternal death. You have earned it with your sin. And God is a perfectly just God. He will not let a sinner off the hook. If he did, he could no longer be just. You will pay for your sin. Or, someone that has the ability, someone that doesn't have to pay for their own sin, someone that is perfect in every way, must be willing to pay your sin for you. I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ, the righteous. God in the flesh came down to earth. That's what we're celebrating right now at Christmas. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. And He therefore was able to lay His own life down for you. Make no mistake about it. The Romans did not kill Jesus. He said, I have power to lay my own life down. I have power to take it back up again. He's God in the flesh. That's why Isaiah says about Him, His name will be mighty, it will be wonderful, it will be counselor, it will be prince of peace, it will be mighty 
God. He came down. He took on flesh. And He willingly laid His life down to pay for your sin. That's the gospel. He doesn't beg you to repent. He commands it. If you don't, you will face an eternity of God's wrath. That's what hell is. It is not some tormentous place that God just made for the angels. And gosh, if you go to hell, you just get caught there by accident. That's nonsense. It is God's wrath. And Jesus on the cross drank every drop of God's wrath in your place. And He has offered salvation to you. Not just you. He's offered it to your family. He's offered it to your friends, your neighbors. But someone has to take them the gospel. Someone has to be in the ministry of reconciliation. 52% of Christians don't know the gospel. And that tells me the vast majority of them probably just aren't saved. Don't assume that your friends and family are saved just because they go to church. Be willing to, to speak the gospel with them. That does not mean you have to sit them down and give a 20-minute lecture on what the gospel is and isn't. Right? And by the way, you were probably not saved that way. And most people aren't. You know what it is? It's a combination of little seeds. It's a three-minute conversation here. It's a few minutes about this there. And it all gets added up and it gets in this mind and the Holy Spirit takes that and works on their heart and regenerates them. You're probably not going to get a chance to sit down and just speak the gospel for 20 minutes to somebody. I hope you do. If you do, take it, obviously. Right? Duh. But if not, don't be discouraged. Keep planting seeds. Keep planting seeds. Keep planting seeds. Do you have any idea how many people must have prayed for me? How many people saw the wickedness that I was involved in and still prayed for me? I promise there, were, <laughs> there was one of my teachers actually sat me down because she didn't believe it. <laughs> I got born again. I heard you had an experience with God. Is that true? <laughs> she couldn't believe it. <laughs> she says, I know the things you did. I'm like, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, trust me, I can't believe it either. But Jesus is a Savior to sinners. He's the Savior of wretches. Which I was. This tells me this. Even our friends and family that are church people need to hear the gospel. And God has made us ambassadors of the gospel for that very reason. Let's actually get into this text. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5. I would love to be able to just go through this whole chapter. There's so much here. I mean that we don't... Uh, never mind. All right, 16, where it says, From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. There's an entire sermon right there. If you can't find it, you've got no preaching you at all. 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And here it is, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who did he give the ministry of reconciliation to? Not just me. Not just the guys that stand up behind pulpits. He's given it to you. You've got the ministry of reconciliation. God has given it to you. Here it is. I want you to do this. I want you to be a minister on my behalf. That's exactly what this says. 
Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. What? If you're in Christ, your trespasses are no longer imputed to you. They have been imputed to Christ and his righteousness has been imputed to you. You did not earn that. You don't deserve that. That is because of God's grace and mercy. He's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. 19, not imputing the trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. How many people do you know who would call themselves Christians and they're not born again? I I guarantee you know a few. How many do you know would call themselves Christians, you know they're not born again, and if you ask them about their spiritual life, they'd say, man, I'm, I've been kind of off in a bad place. I've kind of backslid. I need, to, I need to get back there to church. It's a lot of times the way they say it. What's the message you can take to them? Be reconciled to God. Repent. Be reconciled to God. He's committed to us. The word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Whose behalf? You are doing the work of Christ. You are literally doing His work in His stead. On His behalf. On behalf of my Lord, I'm asking you, be reconciled. That's what it means to be an ambassador. If, if you're an ambassador, I got to, when I was a, a kid, I got to go to the embassy. One embassy. I got to go to the, I'm trying to remember now, I can't remember if it was Norway or if it was Finland. Boy, my mom would be so disappointed. I think it was Norway, Norwegian embassy. So here's how this works. If you go to the embassy, by the way, it actually is deeded, that little piece of land that the embassy's on is actually deeded to that country. So I really love telling people, like, yeah, I've gone to Norway. They're like, oh, it's awesome. You're like, yeah, well, it's not exactly what it might sound like. I, I did not, you know, did you ski the slopes? No, nope, no slopes. Did you see all the people, blonde-haired, blue-eyed people? Mm-mm. Oh, I, I was just in a building. <laughs> I was in the embassy. What does it mean to be an ambassador? If you're an ambassador to Norway, when you're speaking, you're speaking on behalf of the U.S. government. Oh, what a scary place to be, right? Do you know at one time in our history, this says something about education. At one time in our history, we sent a 14, right after the Revolutionary War, we sent a 14-year-old boy to be the ambassador to Britain. John Adams. That's a big deal. 14-year-old? You know any 14-year-olds that you want to send to a nation you've had wars with? A little tension there? Why did we send him? He knew the scripture and he was level-headed. 14-year-old boy. Like you couldn't I'm 41. You couldn't send me. Okay? Wouldn't happen. At some point I'd be in a I'd be in a conversation and be like, yeah, but we did whoop you. Right? It's not good. Right? But what does it say? We're ambassadors for Christ. Well, if we are ambassadors, we are speaking on their behalf. You are literally the ambassador of Christ to these people, to your family. To your neighbors, to your friends. You're speaking on His behalf. He has allowed you to take part in His ministry. That's incredible. The Holy One of Israel, the the only sinless being, the only sinless man to ever walk the earth, 
says, I, you know what, I'll, I'll use you in my ministry. What? My God, I'm going to get this wrong. Yep. And I'm still going to use it. How sovereign is he? I'm going to tell you something. You ask for some arguments for God's sovereignty. Let me tell you one of them that's really good. I know me. Okay? I am broken and weird. And I'm serious, man. Eclectic would be a nice way of putting it, right? And yet God still is pleased to use my life to bring others to him. That tells me something about the sovereignty of God. I'm like one of the most forgetful people you ever meet. I'm serious. One time, I'll tell you this story. You can laugh at me later. One time I was on the way to school and I got a flat tire. So I just pulled over to uh, Coach Blackburn's house. It was actually on the way from my place. So I just pulled over into their driveway. I call up Justin. And I'm like, hey, I got a flat. Can, we, can you come pick me up? Because, you know, my, my class is going to start here in like half an hour. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. I said, oh, we, we won't have time to change the tire. You know, by the time you get here, I, we just got to go back. We'll change the tire. We'll come back after school, change the tire then, you know, kind of deal. Okay. Comes, picks me up. I get my keys, get all my stuff. I get in the vehicle. We go down to, we go to the uh, school. I teach the entire day. Get to the end of the day, and I'm like, man, where are my keys? All I got is my school keys. I cannot find my, my car keys. Like, that's, that's kind of bad. I'm, I'm going to need them at some point, right? I look everywhere. I can't find them. So finally, we're like, well, let's just go change the tire, right? The keys were still in the Jeep because the Jeep was still running with the door unlocked for eight hours. Welcome to my life. <laughs> Look back at my wife. She's like, that's what I deal with all the time. <laughs> There's a sovereign God. She still loves me. <laughs> right? No, the truth is we, you've got weird stuff about you, too, and you're not a perfect minister. And I get that. Neither am I. Neither am I. And I'm not going to pretend to be one. But what I am going to do is I'm going to try to be faithful with what God's given me. And I want you to do the same thing. I'm not asking you to be super, you know, Jesus Jr. I'm just asking you to be faithful. You're about to be an ambassador in a time of year when you will have open doors to speak to them about the gospel. Use it. Right? Be undaunted. I, 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 it's kind of a weird way to use this word, but like be ruthless about it, Right? Like, your job is to get the gospel to these people. They have no other way of escaping hell for eternity. If you love them, you're going to get the gospel to them one way or another. It may, but Yeah, but if I say that, it's going to be awkward. Like, they're going to think weirdly of me. You ain't going to see them for another year. Man, I don't have time to wear off. <laughs> don't worry about it. Trust me, I'm, I'm weird and awkward too. My family still sees me, man. If I don't show up, they get mad. I'm like, are you serious? It's true. How do you do that? How can you do that in a non-threatening manner? It's very easy at this time of year. Be thankful for it, man. What's the toughest part of this ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. For me, I'll tell you this. It's usually just getting the conversation started. That may, that may sound strange to you. You're like, man, you, are, you talk to anybody. That is true. I, I can be a jabber box. Thanks for mentioning. But it's still awkward to bring up the conversation of, of eternity with somebody, right? I mean, how do you say in like a non-threatening, non-awkward manner, hey, look, uh, Cousin Jimmy, look, I know you think you're a really good guy and everything, but you ain't. In fact, you're wretched, and you deserve hell, and you're going to get it forever. It's going to make dinner awkward, isn't it? Like, Cousin Jimmy, like, go, go ahead, you get your plate first, you know. He's going to let you go ahead, right? Like, just get away from me. So how in the world can you breach this subject without being awkward. 
Now, I'm going to tell you right off, right, right off the bat, at this time of year, it is easier for, for me at least to breach that subject than at any other time of the year. Give me an example. I, I, I hire people to work for me, usually from the high school. Typically, I'll hire some high school boys anytime I've got work to do, and I try to hire guys that I know don't know the Lord. You know why? Hey, they're working for me, dude. I'm paying them. They can't get away from it then. Like, hey, you can't go to the next class and the bell rings, pal. We're here all day. And I'm paying you. So I get them the gospel, right? At least then I know they've got it. A couple weeks ago, I'm working at my house. Actually, not even a couple weeks ago. A week and a half. I'm working at my house. And one of the boys that I'm working with literally brings the subject up himself. Starts talking about how, you know, how his dad has changed. And, and his dad had... Uh, come to know the Lord and how much that's changed him. And now they go to church all the time. And I'm like, well, you know, since you're talking about it, <laughs> funny you should mention church, you know. Anybody ever shared the gospel with you? What's that? Oh, that's such a magical question, isn't it? The gospel? Ah, well, now that you've asked, let me tell you. I shared the gospel. One of these boys actually came to Messiah Fellowship for a while with us years and years ago. I shared the gospel with him. You know what he told me? I never heard that before. I said, you never heard the gospel? You've gone to church. I know the dude goes to church, but I also know what he does on the weekends. So I know what his life looks like, right? Have you never heard the gospel? I don't know. Just never have. He said, I always thought the word gospel just meant the Bible. You know, it's better than some. So I'm saying all that to say this. You are the ambassador. You're the one that's taking in the gospel. How can you breach this subject at this time without it just being totally socially awkward? Because most of the time, it does not flow just naturally out of conversation, does it? It doesn't. Not usually. So how in the world can you bring it up? Well, let me give you some just practical ways, okay? Practical ways. You can springboard off of what, Christmas songs, traditions, Christmas scriptures, right? Hey, you know, I was thinking about the lyrics to that song... The child, the child, sleeping in the night, he'll bring us goodness and light. It's pretty heavy. What do you, what do you think about that? What, how, how does Jesus bring goodness and light to mankind? Start from there. You know those red bulbs on the Christmas tree? Start from that. You telling your buddy, hey, you know what these red bulbs are about? Well, one time it used to be apples. People used to hang apples off their Christmas tree. You know why? Because in medieval Germany, December 24th was celebrated as Adam and Eve Day. It was commemorated as the story of the fall of man in Genesis 3. It basically was a pre-Christmas festival. So why was that a big deal? Well, many churches of the time felt like pairing up the fall of man the day before Christmas created the perfect backdrop for the Christmas story because it weaved a theme of redemption through the birth of the Savior. Dude! Jump into that. Hey, you know this, this Santa Claus? You know, it's actually based on a, you know, loosely based now, on an actual person. Really? Yeah. His name is Nicholas. Saint Nicholas. Or in German, Sinterklaas. Yeah, Saint Nicholas. He's at the back of the building back there. Yeah. Nick Giesler. I said Saint Nicholas and he literally waved at me. I'm like, are you serious right now? He is a saint, I guess. He is Nicholas. So, hey, why not? But that is a tradition that you can springboard off of to get into a, a conversation about the gospel. So use it. Hey, you know why we put lights on our Christmas trees? It used to be candles, but we found out open flames and evergreen trees. 
Kind of a fire hazard, right? <laughs> I, I think that's a good idea. Just use the LEDs, right? But why do we do that? Because the light symbolized Jesus bringing the light, being the light of the world, bringing the light of salvation to all mankind. It was symbolic of something. There are so many Christian or traditions in Christmas that have a Christian backing. Does that make sense? So use it. Maybe you could read Isaiah 9, 6. Right? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It's the prophecy about Christ, the Messiah. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, read that and ask somebody, why do you think Jesus is called the Prince of Peace? So I got news for you. If you're not reconciled to God, you're not going to know him as the Prince of Peace. You're going to know him as the God of justice. Or read Luke 2 before Christmas dinner, right? It's the story about Christ. Maybe before you open gifts, talk about the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ. Whatever you do. I don't know what the way is that you can take the gospel, the truth of God's word to your friends, family, neighbors. I don't. But I can say this. That's our job. We need to be faithful to do that. And now you have an open door like you don't have a lot of other times. And we would be remiss to miss it. Make a plan if you need to. Like sit down at night and figure out, here, here's what I'm going to do. Okay? And if it doesn't go according to plan, that's okay. Be tenacious about it. We're talking about people's souls. It matters. We're talking about eternity. If there was ever a cause that warranted undaunted tenacity, this is it. I'll close with this. Here's a few points for you to keep in mind. Number one, you don't have to seal the deal right there for it to be a successful encounter. All right, obviously, okay? If you tell somebody the gospel and they don't just crumple to their knees and cry and go, I need Jesus, would you pray with me? Probably not going to happen that way, right? And that's okay. It is not an unsuccessful encounter if you don't see that. It's not. It is successful if you get the gospel to them. It is successful if you're faithful to share God's word with them. It is successful if you do that. The results are in His hands. The Holy Spirit is going to do what He wants to do. And with some people, they're going to be hardened. And that's not because you didn't share it good enough or didn't know the right words. or didn't. Know. No. That's because the Holy Spirit is the one who's using this word. It's not up to you. The results are not up to you. Two, as Greg Kokel says, put a rock in their shoe. Look, you don't have to explain everything to them. Give them something to think about, though. Right? He says this, put, put a pebble in their shoe. You ever had a rock in your shoe? It's just annoying you. You, just, you can't stop thinking about it until you stop and deal with it, right? That's the thing. Give them something. It doesn't have to be a huge lecture. It doesn't have to be everything. But give them something. Something to think about. Something to bring up in their mind. Something the Holy Spirit will just nag them with. But give them something. Be faithful. Three, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to go as planned. God strikes a straight blow with a bent stick. And if He didn't, He'd never be able to strike a straight blow with any of us anyway. We're all bent sticks. Be humble, but be faithful. Let me ask you a question to close with. What good does it do for your family, your friends, and your neighbors if you know all the truths about the Christmas story, about Christ, about the incarnation of man, if you never share it? Let me encourage you, this season, be an ambassador for Christ. Let's pray. 
Father God, remind us. You are the author of salvation. You're the author of this word. And that you have asked us to be a partner with you in the ministry of reconciliation. That you've promised us if we would speak your word that it would not return void. That you will literally use that word to accomplish what you want. To to see the advance of your kingdom. Let us be courageous. Sometimes we get intimidated. It feels awkward to bring stuff like this up. But remind us, God, if we love these people the way we should love these people, that it's worth the awkwardness to get the gospel to them. It's worth a little bit of temporary social misunderstanding. It's worth it to do your work. Thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for these people. I ask you to be with them in this time. Make them faithful ambassadors. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me share with you today.